Volume Four, Chapter Two of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Lucy Burgoyne. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney. Volume Four, Chapter Two. A sympathy. The next day Cecilia had appointed to spend in St. James Square, and she knew by experience that in its course she should in all probability find some opportunity of speaking with Delville alone. This accordingly happened, for in the evening Mrs. Delville quitted the room for a few moments to answer a letter. Cecilia then left with her son, said, after a little hesitation, Will you not think me very strange if I should take the liberty to consult you upon some business? I already think you very strange, answered he, so strange that I know not any one who at all resembles you. But what is this consultation in which you will permit me to have a voice? You are acquainted, I believe, with the distress of Mr. Belfield? I am, and I think his situation the most melancholy that can be imagined. I pity him with my whole soul, and nothing would give me greater joy than an opportunity of serving him. He is, indeed, much to be compassionated, returned Cecilia, and if something is not speedily done for him, I fear he will be utterly lost." The agitation of his mind baffles all the power of medicine, and till that is relieved, his health can never be restored. His spirit, probably always too high for his rank in life, now struggles against every attack of sickness and of poverty, in preference to yielding to his fate, and applying to his friends for their interest and assistance. I mean not to vindicate his obduracy, yet I wish it were possible it could be surmounted. Indeed, I dread to think what may become of him, feeling at present nothing but wretchedness and pain, looking forward in future to nothing but ruin and despair. There is no man, cried young Delville, with emotion, who might not rather envy than pity sufferings which give rise to such compassion. Pecuniary assistance he will not accept, she continued, and, indeed, his mind is superior to receiving consolation from such temporary relief. I wish him, therefore, to be put into some way of life by which his own talents, which have long enough amused the world, may at length become serviceable to himself. Do you think, sir, this is possible? How do I rejoice, cried Delville, colouring with pleasure, while he spoke, in this flattering concurrence of our opinions. See, madam, taking from his pocket a letter, how I have been this very morning occupied in endeavouring to procure for Mr. Belfield some employment by which his education might be rendered useful, 
and his parts redound to his own credit and advantage. He then broke the seal, and put into her hand a letter to a nobleman, whose son was soon going abroad, strongly recommending Belfield to him in capacity of a tutor. A sympathy of sentiment so striking impressed them at the same moment with surprise and esteem. Delville earnestly regarded her with eyes of speaking admiration, while the occasion of his notice rendered it too pleasant to distress her, and filled her with an inward satisfaction which brightened her whole countenance. She had only time, in a manner that strongly marked her approbation, to return the letter, before Mrs. Delville again made her appearance. During the rest of the evening but little was said. Cecilia was not talkative, and young Delville was so absent that three times his mother reminded him of an engagement to meet his father, who that night was expected at the Duke of Derwent's house in town, before he heard that she spoke to him, and three times more before, when he had heard, he obeyed. Cecilia, when she came back to Mr. Barrell's, found the house full of company. She went into the drawing-room, but did not remain there long. She was grave and thoughtful. She wished to be alone, and by the earliest opportunity stole away to her own apartment. Her mind was now occupied by new ideas, and her fancy was busied in the delineation of new prospects. She had been struck from her first meeting young Delville with an involuntary admiration of his manners and conversation. She had found upon every succeeding interview something further to approve, and felt for him a rising partiality which made her always see him with pleasure, and never part from him without a wish to see him again. Yet, as she was not of that inflammable nature which is always ready to take fire, as her passions were under the control of her reason, and she suffered not her affections to triumph over her principles, she started at her danger the moment she perceived it, and instantly determined to give no weak encouragement to a prepossession which neither time nor intimacy had justified. She denied herself the deluding satisfaction of dwelling upon the supposition of his worth, was unusually assiduous to occupy all her time, that her heart might have less leisure for imagination, and had she found that his character degenerated from the promise of his appearance. The well-regulated purity of her mind would soon have enabled her to have driven him wholly from her thoughts. Such was her situation when the circumstances of her affairs occasioned her becoming an inmate of his house, and here she grew less guarded, because less clear-sighted to the danger of negligence for the frequency of their conversation allowed her little time to consider their effects. If at first she had been pleased with his deportment and elegance, upon intimacy 
She was charmed with his disposition and his behavior. She found him manly, generous, open-hearted and amiable, fond of literature, delighting in knowledge, kind in his temper, and spirited in his actions. Qualities such as these, when recommended by high birth, a striking figure and polished manners, formed but a dangerous companion for a young woman, who, without the guard of any former prepossession, was so fervent an admirer of excellence as Cecilia. Her heart made no resistance, for the attack was too gentle and too gradual to alarm her vigilance, and therefore, though always sensible of the pleasure she received from his society, it was not till she returned to Portman Square, after having lived under the same roof with him for a fortnight, that she was conscious her happiness was no longer in her own power. Mr. Harold's house, which had never pleased her, now became utterly disgustful. She was wearied and uncomfortable, yet willing to attribute her uneasiness to any other than the true cause. She fancied the house itself was changed, and that all its inhabitants and visitors were more than unusually disagreeable. But this idle error was of short duration. The moment of self-conviction was at hand, and when Delville presented her the letter he had written for Mr. Belfield, it flashed in her eyes. This detection of the altered state of her mind opened to her views and her hopes a scene entirely new, for neither the exertion of the most active benevolence nor the steady course of the most virtuous conduct sufficed any longer to wholly engage her thoughts or constitute her felicity. She had purposes that came nearer home and cares that threatened to absorb in themselves that heart and those faculties which hitherto had only seemed animated for the service of others. Yet this loss of mental freedom gave her not much uneasiness, since the choice of her heart, though involuntary, was approved by her principles, and confirmed by her judgment. Young Delville's situation in life was just what she wished, more elevated than her own, yet not so exalted as to humble her with a sense of inferiority. His connections were honourable. His mother appeared to her the first of women. His character and disposition seemed formed to make her happy, and her own fortune was so large that to the state of his she was indifferent. Delighted with so flattering a union of inclination with propriety, she now began to cherish the partiality she had first had repressed, and thinking the future destination of her life already settled, looked forward with grateful joy to the prospect of ending her days with the man she thought most worthy to be entrusted with the disposal of her fortune. She had not, indeed, any certainty that the regard of young Delville was reciprocal, but she had every reason to believe he greatly admired her, and to suspect 
that his mistaken notion of her prior engagement, first with Mr. Belfield, and afterwards with Sir Robert Floyer, made him at present check those sentiments in her favour which, when that error was removed, she hoped to see I encouraged. Her purpose, therefore, was quietly to wait an explanation, which she rather wished retarded than forwarded, that her leisure and opportunity might be more for investigating his character and saving herself from repentance. End of chapter 2